straightened up. <clears throat> so the last few weeks, we've been teaching on Esther, and it just seemed like this book grew to me. It's only ten, it's a small book in the Old Testament. It's only ten chapters, small chapter, chapters at that. And, but there was so much that was contained in that book of Esther. And uh, <clears throat> it, it was just growing. I told Dorman, I said, there's no way I can teach, or, or I'm, I'm more of a teacher, there's no way that I could teach on all of this book in one Sunday. I said, can I have two Sundays? <laughs> so I'm going to teach the first half of Esther this Sunday and the last half of Esther next Sunday. And so next Sunday after church, I would like all of us to bring uh, sandwich stuff, like, you know, fix your own sandwiches, enough for your family, and dip and chips, whatever, and, and uh, maybe a small dessert, and we'll come and just eat afterwards, because uh, right after service, because I would like to show the movie Esther. And if you can't stay, that I understand, but uh, those that can, I would like to them to stay, because even if you've seen the movie, I believe what God has showed me in some of the scriptures here will just stand out to you, and you will understand what Esther really means, and how this is involved in our lives today, and that's what I'm going to talk to you about. Uh, now, Esther is a spiritual roadmap to God, this book is. And uh, who, who loves to sit down and cuddle up and curl up in a cozy little corner with a blanket and a book and read, besides me? Okay. You know, uh, Esther is a book. It's a mystery book. Who loves a good mystery book? I do, too. Or a good romance book. Come on, ladies. <laughs> Well, and as Esther, there's so much more involved in this one book than romance and mystery. Uh, there's abduction, palace secrets, intrigue and danger, trickery, murder, assassination plots, international politics, genocide, death, and, of course, romance. We can't leave that out. It was into this incredible mix of absolute power and unimaginable wealth that the young Jewish peasant girl named Hadassah, or Esther, as she would become, entered her destiny. Now, I'm going to start out because there's a lot of background that I want to fill in here. And so I'm telling you a lot of the background. The story of Esther is not just a story, but actual events that happened in Persia between 483 and 473 B.C., a 10-year span of time, during the reign of King Ahasuerus. King Ahasuerus reigned over a vast area from India to Ethiopia, the largest kingdom in the world at that time, which had 127 provinces. Now, I pulled up King Ahasuerus on the, on the internet, and there is so much involved in this that you could go on there yourself and look up. Now, picture where India is on the map, you know, if you can see over there behind you. And he, his whole kingdom was including India all 
all the way across Israel, down into Africa. Now, into um, Africa, which is Ethiopian in that part of the world there. It was the largest uh, known kingdom in that time. His palace was in Susa, which is now Iraq. Now, it was very close to Baghdad, where, where Baghdad is. King Ahasuerus' father was King Darius the Great. Now, his father was the one that conquered a lot of this land, and he was killed in battle uh, with the Greeks. And uh, so King Ahasuerus took over reign after his father died. Esther was queen for 13 years, and no doubt she lived for many years into the reign of her stepson. Her stepson's name is Artaxerxes. I think the worst and hardest thing of this whole story was trying to learn how to pronounce these names. Artaxerxes. Under King Artaxerxes, Nehemiah rebuilt Jerusalem. It was Esther's marriage into this famous Persian kingdom that gave the Jews enough prestige at his court to make it possible for Nehemiah to rebuild Jerusalem. And you can look this up and read it for yourself. We're not going to do that today. In Nehemiah 2, 1 through 8. But this is what, how it's connected to us. Um, okay, God stepped in and delivered his people, the Jews, so that Christ could come and their seed of promise be revealed. That's Genesis, and I'm going to let y'all look that up in Genesis 12 and that whole story. But this story of Esther has the feel of a fairy tale when you read it. But it's real. Most of us as little girls dream to become a princess. And, you know, most of you boys, I would dream of being a hero. But... What I liked, what I used to dream about, was Cinderella. You know, Cinderella was one of my favorite stories when I was a little girl. From the lowly sister to becoming a princess and then finding her handsome prince. You know, that sensational elevation of a commoner, a common person, finding and and being in a position of royalty. You know, it excites all of us, you know, and that happened with Princess Di, you know, when she married into the, the uh, throne at, uh, in, in, of England. You know, uh, could it be that our Creator has implanted a dream deep inside our hearts? A hidden seed, an internal dream waiting to be fulfilled? I will show you how this is going to happen as we go along. The book of Esther literally contains a roadmap to God. And we're going to go down that roadmap today. Uh, and I'm going to show you. It, this is not just a book. I don't want you to shrug off this story as something you've maybe heard or read in church or you maybe heard in Sunday school or just one of those Old Testament books. You know, I can confess, I read Esther a couple of times, and uh, the, the only thing that really I remembered was for such a time as this. You know, that famous scripture in, in Esther, for such a time as this, she was there. And that's what really stuck with me. But I want to show you so much more that's in every 
chapter of every book in Esther. Now let's begin this story. King Ahasuerus held a feast for all of his officials and nobles and the princes of the provinces for 108 days to show them the riches of his kingdom and the splendor of his excellence. Then he had a feast for seven more days for the people of Susa. And he invited all the commoners, everybody. We would have been invited if we had been living in Susa at the time. Queen Vashti, the queen at the time, also made a feast for her women. And the king wanted to show everyone how beautiful his queen was. So he called for her to come, but she refused at the king's command. You know, she didn't want to be paraded before all those drunken men in the feasting. And that's why she refused. And it made King Herosaurus furious. Uh, The king asked his wise men what he should do. And they told him to ban her from ever coming before him. And so the wise men, he did what they told him to do. And she wasn't queen anymore. Uh, Nobody really knows it wasn't recorded what they did if they actually just put her away and she just never came before him or if, if she was murdered or killed, you know. Uh, in those days when you didn't obey the king, you, you're, you were beheaded. And so we hope that she wouldn't be beheaded. We don't know. Some time passed and later the king appointed officers to gather all the beautiful young virgins in the kingdom and have them go through a year of intense beauty treatments. Esther was one of them. Now Mordecai was her cousin and he raised her as his own daughter because uh, Esther's parents were killed. When I was reading and studying about this, they were killed uh, when, I guess it was King Darius, um, King Herosaurus, his dad took over Israel and took, captured all the Israelites and took them to Persia. Um, But Mordecai raised Esther as his own daughter. And he told Esther, don't use her Jewish name, Hadassah. So no one in the palace knew that Esther was a Jew. She kept it a secret. So here we go. We're going to go down this road, the road map. And the first sign on the road map is preparation. Let's read Esther 2.12. Is this in the New King? Okay. Okay. Now, when every maid's turn was come to go... Now, let's go to the New King James, Rod. Okay, thank you. Each young woman's turn came to go to King Herosaurus after she had completed 12 months' preparation according to the regulations for the women. For thus were the days of their uh, preparation apportioned, six months with oil of myrrh, six months with perfumes, and preparations for beautifying women. 
Now, myrrh. Esther followed the half year of cleansing and purification with myrrh. Some of you might ask, why six months? That's a long time. And how does this apply to me? Myrrh was included in the two holy preparations used in the worship of ministry to God in the, Mos- in the tabernacle of Moses. It was used in both the holy anointing oil and in the incense that was uh, used in the Old Testament sacrifices. Now, we see in the New Testament five times in the life of Jesus, Mersh used first at his birth, wise men from the east who came to offer gifts to the newborn king of the Jews brought him precious myrrh. That was one of the gifts of the wise men. Who knows? You know, one of these wise men could have been from Persia, the land of Esther. Second, at Jesus' first anointing, unnamed sinful woman uh, in, in this anointing, he, she used myrrhon. It's a distilled but costly form of myrrh in the ointment to anoint Jesus' feet along with her tears in the house of Simon. I think this was one of the purest pictures of the the anointing. Uh, The bitterness of repentance, her tears that she shed, leading to that sweetness of forgiveness and divine acceptance, what Jesus forgave her. Her tears mixed with myrrh. See, myrrh is a bitter herb to the taste, but it has a very sweet smell. Third, at Jesus' second anointing, Mary, the sister of Martha, anointed Jesus with Myron again, or myrrh, once again in Bethany, at the house of Simon the leper. But this time, she anointed his head. Jesus told his disciples, he said, Mary has anointed him for his burial. Here again, the myrrh served as the anointing oil of bitterness. Fourth, at Jesus' death, myrrh myrrh, was mixed into a drink that the Roman soldiers offered to Jesus on the cross just before he died. Do you think possibly it was because of the astringent or the medical qualities in myrrh? See, myrrh is um, a painkiller. In Isaiah 53, 4, he says, He carried our sorrows. And in the Greek, that word sorrow is pain. So he took our pain. Also, myrrh is also linked with repentance and and sanctification or being set apart unto God. But Jesus, see here, he refused to drink this. Why do you think Jesus refused to drink this uh, cup with myrrh in it on the cross? Because he knew. Because he knew and his mission was to take the pain upon himself totally. To become sin fully. See, if he had took that and it would took away his pain, he wouldn't have been taking our pain. Drinking it would have voided his mission. As the sacrificed Lamb of God, his purpose was to take the complete punishment for our sin and to be separated from the Father. That's why he cried, 
My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The finally at Jesus' burial, myrrh was one of the frankincense uh, fragrances and spices of choice used to wrap the body of the Lord Jesus. The fragrance of myrrh was woven throughout the life of Jesus from his birth to his burial. The parallels of Esther's preparation and the parallels of the Lord's preparation, they're astounding. They're just alike. In Jesus' life is a picture of the death of the old man being purged, turning away from the old mindsets. It speaks of the exchange and the cleansing. It speaks of the preparation of our appearance before the King of Kings. He went through this preparation for us, Jesus did, so we don't have to. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Can you picture the exchange here that Jesus has done for us so that we can go before the King of Kings? Now let's look at frankincense. Another intense six months of immersion in perfumes and sweet spices. One of the spices that was used in those days was frankincense. Fragrant oils and spices were major exports of Persia. It was common for Persian women to place small cosmetic burners. They were just like little burners with a candle under them, I guess, uh, full of oil of roses, cloves, musk, and frankincense on coals to perform. They, they put them uh, and turned it on, burned that candle to uh, let it, the incense and the fragrance cover their skin and their clothing so they would smell good. But here in the book of Esther, it says that she was immersed or bathed in a hot bath of perfumes and spices for six months. Unlike myrrh, frankincense only releases its fragrance in the heat of fire. So it has to be heated to release its fragrance. It was used along with all these other ingredients in the preparation of both the sacred anointing oils for kings and priests too and for the incense burned as a sacrifice to God in the temple. When uh, some forms of worship only release their fragrance to God when offered from the fires of adversity. The sacrifice of praise offered in times of trouble is especially sweet and pleasant to God. In the tabernacle of ancient Israel, the smoke of the holy incense would go past the veil as the praise offering for the sweetness to God. And the reason for this was to obscure obscure from uh, view all the flesh of the priest. See, the holy smoke would go under the veil and go into the tabernacle. This speaks of the return of the pure praise and worship as seen in the temple of Solomon. Our sinful flesh is covered by the blood of the Lamb and by the sweet-smelling cloud of our worship, filling 
the room. This is where God's presence descends in response to our sacrifice. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise. When we worship, we are in preparation to see the king. Worship covers us with the fragrance of our Lord. In fact, the real purpose of soaking in the oil of anointing, which you just got through doing, (laughs) is to eliminate the smell of the flesh, right? Here's another picture of the exchange, isn't it? What Jesus has done for us. Sometimes you just need a lengthy soaking in the holy anointing oil to prepare you for the divine appointment with your king. Favor is the second sign to the roadmap to God. Esther had favor with Hegai. He was the custodian of women, and he moved her to the best place in the house of women. Let's read it in Esther 2, 9. Esther 2, 9. Now the young woman pleased him, pleased Hegai. And she obtained his favor, so he readily gave beauty preparations to her besides her allowance. The seven choice maidservants were provided for her from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maidservants to the best place in the house of women. You know, that sounds like she had more beauty treatments than the other women because it says that he, besides what the others were allowed, he gave her more. Plus the favor she had got, that God had given her. It was so great that she was given seven servants and moved to the luxury suite in the women's house. So God had given her this favor. Even the king's servants liked Esther, and she had great favor with them. Let's look in Esther two fifteen through 17. <clears throat> Now, when the turn came to, for Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his daughter, to go to the king, she requested nothing but what Hegai, the king's eunuch, the custodian of the women, advised. And Esther obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her. So Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus into his royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Tibet, in the seventh year of his reign. The king loved Esther more than all the other women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the other virgins. So he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Asti. Four times here we see she had favor, you know what that reminds me of is Jesus. In Luke 2:52 it says Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. You know that little word favor we don't think much about it a lot of times but God has given us favor. We have favor. Luke 1:30 says then the angel said to her said to Mary Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Proverbs 12, 2 says, A good man obtains favor from the Lord. Do you know Persian kings generally selected their queens 
from Persian royal families. But Esther was an outsider, not of nobility, but of exiled Jewish people. So why did the king pass over more than a thousand other candidates? Could it be that she had favor and God was orchestrating Esther's life? I believe so. And so God will give grace and favor, you know, to us. His favor is on each one of us. You might not know it, but it's always there. If you know Jesus, you have favor. Ephesians 1, 6 says, He made us, God made us, accepted in the Beloved. Accepted means favor. That word accepted means favor. We've been highly favored. That's us. We all need to say that. We've been highly favored. I am favored. Amen. The third sign on the roadmap to God is seeking the heart of the king. Esther had great favor, but she was also seeking the heart of the king, not his kingdom. God anointed this young Jewish woman to stand out from all the other women because, why? She was winning his heart. Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen says, You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Isaiah 58, 2 says, They seek me daily and delight to know my ways. And Jeremiah 24, 7 says, Then I will give them a heart to know me. That I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. That's the new exchanged heart. With her whole heart, that's the new heart. Ezekiel thirty six twenty six. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take that heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Again, that's the new exchanged heart to see the king of kings. It's hard to see the king of kings with the old heart. Can't. We might have thought we could, but we can't. So let's look. Hebrews 8.10. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. All of this was seeking the heart of the king. Hebrews eleven six. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That word reward is that he gives us a new heart to know him. A reward to know him. That means to know him. Uh, the same as Esther, we need to seek daily the heart of the Father. With, you know, with our new heart, who he is, not what he can do for us, but who he is. Our prayer should be, create in me, Lord, a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart. The fourth sign on the road map to God is the love for his bride. The love for his bride. The love that God has for us. The king loved Esther more. Let's look in Esther 2, 17.
The king loved Esther more than all the others, and he made her his bride. You know, the love that the king had for his bride, it reminds me so much of John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, loved the world. He gave that love, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, in an instant, God adopted us. When we ask him to come into our heart, in one instant he adopted us through his son into his royal family. We're royalty, and we are complete in him. He made a way for us through his blood to leave the former way of life and to exchange it for that new way of life. Esther left that old way of life for her new. The minute we ask Jesus into our heart, he transforms us and makes us new. See, if we love the king... The kingdom's automatically ours. Everything in the kingdom is ours. Nothing is left undone. Everything that God has is ours. Everything the king had that he, when he gave Esther the crown and said, I want you to be my queen, everything was hers. The whole kingdom. Everlasting life, that's the kingdom. Esther loved her king, and the kingdom was hers. You know, it's time for us as the church to be, to see that we are the bride of Christ. It's time. It's time that we step into our royal positions. He's coming back, you know, for a bride, a royal bride, without spot or wrinkle. You know, I've always wondered, that always puzzled me. How could he come back for a spotless and a wrinkle-free <laughs> bride? You know, I always thought, how, how can that be? There was so much sin in the church even. But let's read Ephesians 5.27. That he might present it. What is it? It is us, the glorious bride. We are that bride. That he, Jesus, might present it, us, the bride, to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. We are right now holy and without blemish. This is the complete exchange that Jesus purchased for us in one day. He did all of it in one day. We are without spot or wrinkle. Right now, not later, but now. We are the royal bride of Christ. And I just want, you know, you to see the picture of what every place in Esther, how Jesus is inserted into every area. Do you think it was just a coincidence that she became queen? No. Do you think it's a coincidence that that every step of Esther's life, what happened to her? No. Because 
everything God has prepared. He has, he has planned. He has planned your life. He has planned my life. And some things you think, oh, why did this happen? But, and, and I'm sure Esther thought some of the th- things that happened in her life, she thought, why did this happen? But God had every step of the roadmap planned in her life. And God has every step of your life planned. And all we have to do is trust in him. And next week, <laughs> part two, we're going to go into that trust. And we're going to learn about prayer and intercession and trusting in God. And how he can, that can lead into forgiveness and favor and deliverance in our, our lives. And when we trust that that will put you right under uh, his anointing and his power. And that golden scepter will be, as the king in those days did, he held out the golden scepter to Esther. And the favor and grace and deliverance was hers. So next week, we're going to go into that. And we're also going to get deep and thick into the murder plots and the trickery <laughs> and the secrets and the lies that were played into the, in the story of Esther. So next week, be sure and come. And I want you to see the movie afterwards because it really is uh, very scriptural, involved in, in with the uh, Word of God. So let's pray. Lord, I just lift up today and I just pray that each one here will know and see and understand and never back down from the royal position that they have in you. That they will know and that they are royalty and they have everything that you have, Jesus. We have everything that you have given us, Lord God. And I just thank you that every person here will see and know and walk into and walk out through their, their royalty throughout the rest of their life. Lord, that they will never forget that the book of Esther is not just a book, but it is a spiritual roadmap to you, Lord. And that we need to see these patterns that you have set in, in the Old Testament and into the New. And Lord, I just thank you for opening up eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. You're dismissed.